Hello, everyone. Welcome to our listeners in the Big Apple from across the U.S. and around the world. I'm Jeff Goodman, and this is Rediscovering New York. Professionally, I'm a real estate broker with Brown Harris Stevens here in the city, but our show is not about real estate. Rediscovering New York is a weekly program celebrating New York City, its history, its texture, its vibe, its uniqueness. And we do it through interviews with historians, local business owners, nonprofit organizations, preservationists, local musicians and artists, and the occasional elected official. On some shows like tonight's, we bring an individual New York neighborhood to life. We explore its history and its current energy. What makes that particular New York neighborhood special? On some shows, we showcase an interesting and vital color of the city and its history that's not focused on one particular neighborhood. Prior episodes have covered topics as diverse and illuminating as American presidents who had some relationship with New York or who came from here. The history of women activists and the women's suffrage movement. We've looked at the history of different immigrant communities, including people who were brought here enslaved. We've looked at the history of the city's LGBT community and the gay rights movement. We've explored bicycles and cycling, punk and opera, our public library systems, the subway, public art, our greatest train stations, some of our bridges, and even some of our the spies, and not our, I don't want to take credit for them, but spies and saboteurs who were uh, based in New York during wartime and who aided our enemies. After the broadcast, each show is available on podcast. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Amazon's podcast, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and other services. Tonight, we're going back to the Bronx, and we're actually doing a double show because these neighborhoods are very much intertwined and uh, right next to each other. And I'm talking about Concourse and Highbridge. Those are right next to each other in the Bronx. Uh, our first guest is no stranger to Rediscovering New York. He's turned into a regular. He's Jeremy Wilcox. Jeremy is a licensed New York City tour guide. He's a New York native, and he's the owner of Custom NYC Tours. His small group of private walking tours, including places in the Bronx, focus on the city's neighborhoods, its history, art, and architecture. He also serves on the board of the Guides Association of New York City. That's Gannick, one of the oldest and most active tour guides associations in the United States, not just in New York. And I always like to say, Jeremy Wilcox, a hearty welcome back to Rediscovering New York. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me again. Always happy to be here. It's always a pleasure to have you and your expertise and your passion, Jeremy. You're originally from the city, aren't you? Yes, I grew up in uh, Queens, in South Richmond Hill, specifically. Ah, uh, and where do you live uh, now in, in New York? Uh, currently, I'm living in Flatbush, Brooklyn, which is a wonderful place to live. Uh, yes, and I went to school right next to Flatbush. Uh, I know the neighborhood you live in well. When did you decide that you would go into designing and leading tours? So I became a tour guide about five years ago, and but I'd had the idea bubbling in my head a little bit before that. I had a series of odd jobs before this, and I just found them very stifling. And I used to spend my free time wandering neighborhoods, and I would start dragging friends along with me and being like, look at this neighborhood. I did research on it, and I would start giving them what I later realized were tours. And one of my friends, who I'm very grateful to, said, quit the job that you hate and do the thing that you love. And he was very correct. When did you give your first tour, uh, sort of uh, as, a, as a business and not just uh, as a hobby? The first tour I gave was in the summer of 2016. So it was just a little over five years ago. 
And was it in Flappish or Dittmas Park? No, the very first tour I, I was actually paid to give was a tour of Lower Manhattan, Wall Street, and the World Trade Center area, um, that type of tour. Oh. Well, let's go all the way up Manhattan Island and cross the Harlem River into the Bronx. Mm. Um, Concourse and Highbridge, uh, they're different neighborhoods, but they're sort of paired together. You look at them on a map and they, they almost look like uh, uh, two halves of a kidney or two halves of a heart, the way they're sort of uh, connected uh, uh, up and down, up and down Jerome Avenue. Um, before the Dutch arrived here uh, about 400 years ago, there were local people in what would become these neighborhoods. Who were they? So the, the tribe that was really settled in that part of the Bronx was the Sawanai, uh, Sawanai uh, tribe. Uh, and they, that was pretty much their land. They called the land specifically Nuwasin, which meant the land between, because it's, you know, it's the land in between these two separate little islands. Oh, and um, were there were there Dutch settlers who settled in the area? Or actually, it was uh, Johannes Brock, wasn't it, who who settled the uh, Swedish uh, uh, settler who settled there at some point? Yes, he was really the main person who owned a big chunk of that land. So much so that obviously now the entire county slash borough is named after him uh, mm. because it, it you know now we call it Bronx County, but for a long time it was Bronx County. You know, like it was possessive. <laughs> you know, you own that much land, you eventually get a county named after you. I was on a call this morning and a native of the Bronx said, no, it's not the Bronx. He said, it's the Bronx, D-A and B-R-O-N-X for uh, those of us old enough to remember the pronunciation um, of the two neighborhoods we're going to talk about tonight, uh, Concourse and Highbridge. Let's uh, look at the one that, that has the older name, Highbridge. How did it get its name? So Highbridge is very literal. Uh, it is named after probably the neighborhood's most distinctive attraction, which is the Highbridge. Uh, which is a bridge that goes over the Harlem River, connecting that neighborhood into Washington Heights in Manhattan. And when was the what what's on that bridge? What was what was it about it? What is it about it that was so significant? So I would venture to guess most New Yorkers are not familiar at all with the High Bridge, but it really is an important part of New York City history, because in the first half of the 19th century, you know, living conditions were horrific in the city. People were dying of diseases left and right. And one reason was stagnant water. So clean water made New York City livable. And the Croton sort of system is what first gave reliable clean water to New York. They built up a dam up in Westchester County, which you can still visit. It's a nice little attraction up there. And they flowed the water down through Westchester into the Bronx, but then they needed a way for it to get obviously over to Manhattan rather than expensive and dangerous tunneling. A decision was made to send the pipes flowing over a bridge. And rather than a low bridge, they decided on a high bridge uh, that would literally directly connect the upper hills of Washington Heights to the upper hills of the, uh, the high bridge area and bring the water flowing into Manhattan and then connecting, continuing to flow down through a series of reservoirs uh, to homes within Manhattan. And when did the water start flowing? It was 1841 or two? 1842, uh, which was also the same year that the famous Croton Reservoir was completed in Midtown Manhattan, now the site of the main branch of the New York Public mm. Library. When did construction on the bridge start? I was, it's, a fant- it's an unbelievable, beautiful bridge. And uh, it actually was a little bit more of a beautiful bridge in the old days when they had all of those brick arches. But uh, with uh, shipping uh, around the island, they've actually replaced some of those. I don't know what year it was, but with the steel... Uh, with a with a big steel arch, which is also quite beautiful, but uh, those arches were something that spanned the whole the whole length of the bridge. When did they start construction on it? 
So construction started in 1837 uh, and was fully completed in 1848, just about 11 years later. And yeah, it originally was just a beautiful stone arch, um, you know, just an absolutely grand structure that, you know, among the architects uh, and engineers who worked on it was James Renwick Jr., who is most famous for doing buildings like Grace Church and St. Patrick's Cathedral. Well, I didn't realize that he had worked on that as well. Wow. Um, and when was there always a walkway over Highbridge or was that added later on? No, that uh, the, the walkway was not added until 1864. Um, originally, when the bridge was completed, it was really just strictly functional. It was just moving the water, you know, from one county to the other. Um, and then they realized that it would be a great way to get people again from that part of the Bronx to that part of Manhattan. So 1864, the walkway was built. Oh. Did they ever let horse traffic on it or was it was it strictly for pedestrians? My understanding was it would have been strictly for pedestrians uh, for, for strolling. I think, you know, they didn't want things that would potentially affect the structural integrity of the bridge. When the bridge was opened in the 1840s for water, um, what was the area like on the Bronx side of the Harlem River? Was there any were there any uh, any structures? Were there any residences there at that time? Yeah, there was a small amount um, because, you know, the beautiful views and, you know, you were up on those cliffs. It was a great kind of retreat for the wealthy people. They had built homes right on the edge overlooking the Harlem River, um, particularly before clean water. Wealthy people like to live up, you know, in the Heights, Brooklyn Heights, you know, is another example because the air was higher, it was cleaner. Um, So, yeah, it was kind of like a, I guess, a country suburban retreat for wealthy people living in that county. Mm. Did the train go up there yet? Did the did the Harlem line go up there? I wonder how people would have traveled up there. It just would have been by by stagecoach or, or wagon. It would have been a, a mix of both. I mean, the um, the New York Central lines did did run up there um, by that time, so you would have been able to get you know take the old Vanderbilt lines uh, up there before the subway came. When would we begin to see the kind of residential development? Uh, that there is that there is today. When when did that construction begin? So largely would have begun. Um, I mean, there were some developments in the late 19th century, but really not until the early 20th century when the IRT subway arrived there. Uh, the first IRT subway line arrived there in 1906. Um, you know, now part of the uh, the four line. Um, if you ever taken the train up to Yankee Stadium, you're familiar with the line. So yeah, right after the subway came. I mean, that in a lot of the city, the subway is what beget development, uh, because now you had a more reliable and cost-efficient way for people to get from those areas to the kind of job center in Manhattan. Mm. You know, one of the things that I find really um, uh, interesting and almost unique about Highbridge is that when you drive around those streets, uh, it's hard to walk around it because they're so hilly. Um, it reminds you a little more of San Francisco than it does in New York. Not that the streets of the boulevards are wide in, in Highbridge, but just this this, this changing uh, uh, elevation from one street to another. Um, yeah, it's, must it's, have been, good, it's good exercise to walk around that neighborhood. It must have been, uh, uh, I was going to use a B word <laughs> for uh, city planners when they had to lay those streets out and decide how, how, how it all was going to work. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the ways that they, you know, besides the fact that, you know, the roads kind of do eventually curve and, and wind around, um, 
there are these series of stairs that go up from level to level. So if you were, say, walking north from Yankee Stadium up Jerome Avenue, uh, as you're making your way north, if you look to your left, there's going to be a series of, of stairs. Some are just kind of straight going up, some kind of curve and wind. Um, and it's kind of like a, a nice experience. But that's just, if say, you live closer to the actual high bridge and you need to get down to the subway, uh, you will need to like walk down those stairs every day and hypothetically walk back up them at the end of the day. So uh, I, I always imagine that the people who live on that end of the neighborhood are, are in pretty good shape. Um, it'd be nice if they had a funicular there, <laughs> something yeah. we don't see much in this country, but uh, there are some places where it would make a lot of sense. Well, in San Francisco, they have cable cars, but those are uh, straight lines and not, and not windy roads. Um, there's a particular housing development that was built more than 100 years ago, I think that's one of your favorites. Do you want to talk about the Park Plaza Apartments? Oh, yeah. So the Park Plaza Apartments is actually, it's my favorite Art Deco residential building in New York City. Um, anytime I'm up in that neighborhood, I always find myself wandering over to Jerome Avenue to uh, to look at it. Um, it's got gorgeous terracotta. Uh, it's a really just beautiful building inside and out. Um, even from the outside, if you kind of just peek through the door, um, you can see the beautiful lobby detail. So it was completed in 1931 by architects Horace Ginsburg and Marvin Fine, who did a number of buildings in that part of the Bronx. And it's absolutely massive. It basically looks like three towers in one. Uh, gorgeous stone detailing, again, gorgeous terracotta artwork. You can probably spend, you know, 15, 20 minutes just wandering back and forth in the perimeter and noticing all the details, but it really speaks to the architectural ambition of a lot of the development that was being built there throughout the 1920s and 30s. Um, you know, these were just, and still are, really tremendously gorgeous apartment buildings. And it was declared a New York City landmark, and it was declared a landmark actually 40 years ago in 1981. Which, yes, uh, and also speaks well to deserved. The, yeah, which which speaks to uh, uh, the the artistry of the building to have been for an apartment building to have been de declared a landmark for an apartment building in the Bronx to have been declared a landmark in 1981. That's really saying something about it. I'll just give people uh, you know a hint. If you were looking for, it, if you literally go on Jerome Avenue, literally right behind Yankee Stadium, it's right there. Ah, okay. So the next time our listeners go to the, the ball game, and it's on Jerome Avenue. Correct. Yes. All right, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Jeremy Wilcox of Custom NYC Tours about Highbridge and then about Concourse. Well, actually, we've talked about Highbridge. We're going to talk about Concourse. We'll be back in a moment. Have you ever thought of reinventing yourself? Are you looking to create a new life's journey? Hi, I'm Kevin Barbaro, host of Coffee Talk XL every Tuesday night, live, 8 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live to hear me and my guests from a variety of different backgrounds. As a former college coach and a current full-time actor and owner of multiple companies, my show is as eclectic as my life. That's Coffee Talk XL every Tuesday night, 8 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you interested in having a better relationship with yourself, others, and God? Greetings. I'm your host, Dr. George Andow. For the show, A Journey Through into Awareness. On my show, we journey into the awareness that the mind of God is the true seat of our personal consciousness. We join together each Monday at 7 p.m. So tune in on Talk Radio NYC. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? 
I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. back and you're back to rediscovering new york and i think this is episode 124 i can't believe it we've done more than 100 programs on new york's neighborhoods and uh, related topics my first guest is jeremy wilcox jeremy is the founder and owner of custom nyc tours he has some great tours jeremy you want to talk about some of the the fantastic offerings that you have uh, that are still available during the rest of the summer yeah, so my two most popular tours this summer have been my Central Park tour, uh, which is available many mornings. I also do an Art Deco uh, and Landmark tour in Midtown, um, do a high bridge, uh, sorry, high line tour um, in the afternoons. And uh, on weekends, I do a tour around my neighborhood of the Victorian Flatbush Historic District. And I still have to go on that tour. I just, you know, yeah. you, you got to send me the dates again. I, you've done it, you know, uh, full disclosure, everyone. Jeremy has told me when the when uh, those tours are available. I just haven't uh, made myself available of them yet, but I will. Uh, and how can people find out about about your tours and about your, your offerings? So if you go to my website, which is www.customnyctours.com, uh, you can see a full list of my tours. You can see my calendar. I also can do usually private tours on request, depending on my schedule. Well, let's talk about Concourse. Um, how did the neighborhood get its name? So the neighborhood gets its name from the kind of famous street that runs north up the Bronx, the Grand Concourse, the Grand Boulevard. Um, so like Highbridge, it's a very literal name, uh, named after the, the concourse. And we'll talk about actually this building in a moment, but uh, let's uh, digress a little bit. It, uh, Of course, it hosts uh, the Bronx's most famous attraction, at least to baseball fans. We've talked about it before. That's Yankee Stadium. Uh, it sort of straddles the dividing line between concourse and Highbridge, but I think it's on the concourse side of the line. You know, when the last time I looked at a map, um, when was it built? So the original stadium was built in 1923, obviously right around the time that the neighborhood itself was really beginning to develop the way we know it as today. Uh, prior to that, the Yankees did play at the polo grounds in upper Manhattan, just not that far on the other side of the Harlem River. Um, and then obviously the stadium that exists there today, um, not from 1923, but uh, sort of just on the other side of the road there. It was built on the side of Macomb Dam Park. Um, and then the former site of the original stadium is now kind of a nice little green, open green space as well. Well, a lot of people um, think that uh, a subway series refers to the Yankees and the Mets, but actually refers to when the Yankees used to play uh, the Giants uh, mm -hmm. across. Uh, and there was, a, there was a subway line that doesn't exist there anymore, but that's another story for another day. 
Um, this part of the Bronx was actually part of Westchester, Jeremy, before it became part of New York City. How did it become end up becoming part of New York City again if it was uh, part of Westchester County? So it's, it's kind of fascinating, the history of the, of the Bronx, because, it, you know, part of it was part of New York City even before the annexation. So a lot of this area was considered part of West. Uh, Westchester County, and there were several different towns that would form, including the town of Westchester, West Farms, Morrisania, and the former Morris Estate. And then these areas seceded from Westchester to become part of New York City, uh, mostly because you were getting access to better municipal systems that way. And then following the 1898 consolidation of the boroughs into the city of New York, all the former parts of that county that used to be part of Westchester then became part of the Bronx. So, um, you know, just a lot of sort of back and forth in terms of the municipal history of that little section of that county. And of course, the building and completion of the IRT subway that eventually it first went up Jerome Avenue, but then up, up, up River Avenue, uh, that just didn't spur development in Highbridge. It's uh, spurred it uh, along the other side, along the eastern side of the of the subway line. When would we begin to see development in the neighborhood that we would recognize today as concourse? When did that start? So you did have developments there, again, some in the late 19th century, but really, as we see it today, would have began in the 1920s, uh, just like Highbridge, uh, with most of the more famous buildings completed in the 1930s. 1930s was, I mean, it's amazing, you know, when people stop and think about this, like this, they were just, all this building was happening in the Depression, but it, it really was. And so the concourse, as we know it today, really was built up in the first, you know, five years of the Great Depression. Hmm. Uh, let's talk about the arterial heart of, of the neighborhood, the Grand Concourse. What was it like before it was built? Uh, was it farmland or were there other things that, that were there that people would have recognized? Uh, not recognized, but that, that, that still would discern it as being a place where, where people lived and work and not just, and not just a rural setting? So it, it was even through for the majority of the 19th century, it really was somewhat of a rural setting. There were, you know, some large estates. Sorry, I mentioned the Morris family. They had the most prominent estate um, and some small developments, but really nothing that we would think of as a neighborhood um, right until, you know, the early 20th century. When was it planned and what was the vision of it? And was it um, the vision? Actually, it's a multi-part question. Um, was it the Two parts to start. When was it planned and was it the vision of a single person, Jeremy, or a group of urban planners like we might find today when uh, neighborhoods are planned in the city? Well, really two sections. The main original kind of, uh, I guess, originator of it was a French immigrant named Louis Aloy Risset, uh, who was inspired by the Champs-Élysées in Paris in his native France. And he felt that the Bronx should have just this beautiful, wide Boulevard. Um, and he came, that was the kind of a, original idea for the Grand Concourse. And it was just, it was would be wide. It had like the original Park Avenue, like a park running down the middle, middle beautiful walkway. So the original concourse was built between 1894, which so when they began construction, and was largely complete in 1909. Uh, but extensions were done in the 1920s. And a lot of changes were made to that area when the apartment buildings were going up in the 30s, a lot of it being done with kind of New Deal money. Uh, the idea was to turn this grand boulevard into what they pitched as the Park Avenue for the middle class. Um, so taking this beautiful boulevard, which had existed already with these grand Parisian ambitions and turn it into a gorgeous place for sort of uh, upwardly mobile middle class people. 
It was also um, partly a result of the City Beautiful movement at the time mm-hmm. as well. And uh, unlike the Champs-Élysées, people think that the Champs-Élysées, I mean, it is, it is spectacular, but the Grand Concourse is actually longer than the Champs-Élysées. It's about four miles. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you can go start from that area of the Bronx and you can go all the way up, you know, past, uh, you know, the Arthur Avenue area, Fordham University, and just keep going. I mean, it's really amazing. If you a stroll up the concourse, is just a, a wonderful way to view the Bronx. Hmm. Who were the first communities who would have first move to the Grand Concourse when the buildings went up? So the first communities, again, would have been, you know, middle class, again, people with grand ambitions, upperly mobile. It was various, you know, there were a lot of Jewish people there at the time. Um, you know, we don't, that's not the way I think some people would think of the Bronx today, but it was a lot of uh, Jewish people living in that area. Um, and it would have been, you know, middle class people who were looking for apartments, but apartments that made them feel, you know, grand. I know there were, for a lot of people who moved to the Grand Concourse, they had um, amenities in as far as uh, uh, the sizes of bathrooms <laughs> and uh, apartments that they didn't have from places that they would have moved from uh, more congested Manhattan. Oh, yeah. Huge, huge apartments, you know, beautiful bathrooms, you know, gorgeous, again, gorgeous lobbies, doormen, uh, you know, elevator buildings, which wasn't necessarily always the norm at that time. Um, you know, sunken living rooms, hardwood floors, just really beautiful living both not only then, but, uh, you know, still today as well. Well, let's talk about some of the architecture in the neighborhood, especially along the Grand Concourse. Are there any buildings that you have that you're especially fond? Are there any buildings that you are especially fond of that, that are along the avenue? Yeah. So when I bring people there, there's always three main buildings. I love to show them. One is the Bronx County Courthouse, uh, which is a beautiful piece of art deco architecture. But the two most beautiful apartment buildings, um, which are just a few blocks apart, one is 888 Grand Concourse, uh, which is a beautiful corner building um, and used to have this beautiful fountain in the lobby. The fountain is still there. It doesn't really work anymore. And my personal favorite, 1150 Grand Concourse, uh, better known to a lot of people as the fish building because of the beautiful fish mosaics on the facade. Um, That building has, in my opinion, one of the most gorgeous Art Deco residential lobbies in the city. I mean, just really beautiful. And these apartments are actually very well maintained even today. And what's the address of that? And, and, and what's the cross street of the, of the building? So in so, case people are strolling up or around the Grand Concourse, they might want to poke their heads in and have a look. Sure. So the first one was uh, easy enough to remember because it's three eights, eight, eight, eight. Um, the second one I mentioned was 1150 Grand Concourse. I'm just going to look up what the um, cross street uh, there is, but uh, it's better known as the fish building, but 1150. Uh, 1150 is really close to the Bronx Museum of Art, uh, which you should also check out. So the cross street to that one is 167. So it's just about a block south of the 167th Street station on the B and D lines. Well, I'm proud to say I've actually been to the Bronx Museum of Art and more than once. <laughs> I've been I've actually been up there twice. Um, let's uh, talk about the IND subway for a second. Um, mm-hmm. What was the gen? It, it, it's literally two blocks away from the IRT on on uh, River Road. It, it, it's it's under the Grand Concourse. Mm-hmm. Um, since there already was a subway at that point, what was the idea and planning of another subway line that ran only two blocks from the IRT? I mean, one, it provided different service, you know, express service. It was underground, so it wouldn't have been reliant on on weather, the way sometimes the overhead lines can get shut down in the winter. Uh, you know, it just the city was just looking for ways to add additional transit to that uh, that area. Um, 
and also a way to connecting to some of the IND lines that were being built in the city. Mm. And there are some other very interesting attractions in the area, aside from the Bronx Museum of the Arts, there's Joyce Kilmer Park and also the Andrew Friedman home, which we're going to be talking about with our second guest in a couple of minutes. Mm -hmm. um, in, the, in the minute or two we have left, Jeremy, I'd like to talk about the evolution of, of Concourse. Like many New York neighborhoods, it saw um, significant decline after the Second World War. In fact, uh, for those of us old enough to remember the uh, World Series in 1977, who could forget Howard Cosell, who actually didn't say the Bronx is burning, but he said something similar to that. And he was uh, credited with this phrase that he actually didn't say, but, you know, it intoned that. Um, when did when did concourse begin to improve again and, and get on the road to the neighborhood that it is today? So really, at the beginning of this century, there was a major investment in that area. Um, for instance, the DOT began making a lot of improvements, both aesthetic and safety designed, uh, to the actual concourse itself. Uh, this was a way of, you know, telling people in the neighborhood that the city still cared about them and wanted it to, uh, to look nice. Uh, th so there was a lot of redesigns of the streets there. Um, then you had in 2011, when the big portion of that neighborhood was declared a landmark, um, and then a lot of things going on in just in the last decade of redoing kind of the area along the Harlem River shore um, and a lot of redevelopment, but really within the beginning part of this century, the city really began to reinvest in that neighborhood. And even though rediscovering New York is not a show about real estate, one of the indicators of a neighborhood um, improving and of people wanting to build a future stake is owning their own homes. And a good number of rental, formerly rent, former rental buildings on the Grand Concourse are now cooperatives. Yeah, it's actually a nice mix. There's a lot of buildings there that are, are you know, are rent stabilized um, and a lot that are co-op. So you, you do have a really good mix. And like I said, if you ever are wandering along, take a look at those buildings. They're generally, you know, very well maintained. Many of them, including 888, still have doormen. Um, just it's beautiful residential architecture. Hmm. Great. Well, Jeremy, thanks so much for being a guest once again on the program. Uh, our first guest on this episode about Concourse and Highbridge has been Jeremy Wilcox. Jeremy is the owner of Custom NYC Tours. He offers great tours, and you can still take advantage of some this summer before the weather starts to turn a little bit cooler. And um, your website is customnyctours.com. Did I get that right? That's correct. All right. Well, thanks, Jeremy. And thanks again for being on the program. You're welcome. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to be speaking with someone who actually heads an arts organization in one of the most spectacular buildings uh, on the Grand Concourse. It was designed as a residential building, but one a little bit differently from the others along the Grand Concourse when it was first built. Uh, we'll be back in a moment. Informed about menopause and how it impacts on your life? Hi, I'm Pat Duckworth, women's health strategist and host of the Hot Women Rock radio show, empowering women leaders at menopause. Join me every Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. UK Time on talkradio.nyc for interviews with inspirational women who will share their top tips to rock your world. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. 
Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy and Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. We're back. Support for Rediscovering New York comes from our sponsors. Chirag Modi, mortgage strategist at Freedom Mortgage. For assistance in any kind of residential mortgage, Chirag can be reached at 718-210-1167. And support also comes from Jacqueline Hosford Interior Design, specializing in residential and commercial renovation and decorating. Jacqueline can be reached at 347-482-1700. You can like the show on Facebook, and you can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter. My handle's there at Jeff Goodman NYC. If you have comments or questions, or if you'd like to get on our mailing list, please email me, Jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. One of the note before we get to our second guest, even though Rediscovering New York is not a show about real estate, when I'm not on the air, I am indeed a real estate agent in our amazing city, where I help my clients buy, sell, lease, and rent property. If you or someone you care about is considering a move into, out of, or within New York, I would love to help you with those real estate needs. You can reach me and my team at 646-306-4761. Our second guest on this program about concourse and hybrid is Walter Perrier. He's actually Walter E. Perrier III, and he's the founder and (laughs) got to put that third in. I, I well, you put it in. I don't usually do it that way, but you know, it's okay. Well, I'm a, I'm not even a junior. <laughs> <laughs> Walter is the founder and director of the Andrew Friedman Home and the Andrew Friedman Home Initiative. He conceived of the Andrew Friedman Home as an interdisciplinary residency, incubator, and educational platform with the goal of community development and establishing community assets as an essential cultural resource for the South Bronx. He established the organization's mission and vision and continues to oversee all of its programming, long-range planning, and new initiatives. Walter has cultivated relationships with partnering organizations locally, nationally, and also internationally. 
As a Bronx native, Walter has performed, written, and directed for the Castillo Theater and other notable theater and performing arts venues in the city. That's New York City, everyone. Among his responsibilities, Walter oversees the artist in residence application process, interviewing and evaluating candidates for the program, and he directs the exhibition planning at the Andrew Friedman Home. Walter Perrier, a hearty welcome to Rediscovering New York. Thank you. Thank you. That's a nice, that's a nice welcome. I don't usually get nice welcomes like that. So thank you very much. Well, why not? You do, you, you've, you're doing a great thing at the Andrew Friedman home and, uh, you know, people on the show, you know, get recognized and accoladed for the great work that they do. Well, I, I appreciate that. And yeah, I do. I mean, thank you again. I think it's more, we're on the experimental side and, um, on the innovation side. So, you know, sometimes that's a little ahead of, what people are thinking about or might want to see. But well, thank you. well, we'll talk about that innovation in a second. I'd like to do a little background about, about the Friedman home. Sure. You're from New York originally and you're from the Bronx. Where in the Bronx did you grow up? Where, where are you from? I am a true New Yorker. Um, I've lived in like three, four different areas in the Bronx. Um, closest area, original area was Fordham and Walton. Our church was established near there. Um, and there, and then from there, I've lived, I live in Riverdale currently. I've lived on Summit Avenue near, near Yankee Stadium. I've lived in City Island. Um, so yeah, wow. I have a thorough um, living experience in the Bronx, um, which kind of informs my current outlook. Well, you've lived in more places in the Bronx, Walter, than I have in Brooklyn, where I'm from and spent most of my life. Although I don't live in Brooklyn now. I live in Harlem. Yeah. Um, hmm. How... How long have you been professionally involved in the arts world? In the arts world? or yeah. at the, in, no, since no, no, I, in the arts world. Since I was six years old. Oh, wow. Yeah. I started as a, I started as a child actor, um, and it was a uh, coincidence or maybe not coincidence that I got on stage that early. Um, and then I kept performing for a while, all the way through... It wasn't until junior high school that um, someone said to me that I could maybe do it professionally. And then I continued for much of my early life into my 30s um, until I realized that actors really don't have any power. And the true thing that interests me was narratives, much like what you're doing with the radio show. I think it's much more interesting and socially important to produce narratives, contemporary narratives, historical narratives that are not normally told or are now retold where it's more inclusive of people and ideas. Mm. Well, I'd like to ask you about the Friedman home, of course, and concourse. Um, before I do, let's, let's talk about the history of the building that you're in, <laughs> because sure. it may give some of the, some of the outcome that, that, that you've created. Um, the Friedman Home, the Andrew Friedman Home, was originally was not originally established as an arts institution. Uh, what was it when it was first built? What was it for? What was it? What was its goal? What was its mission? Well, Andrew Friedman, which I was surprised that the the young gentleman didn't speak about him a little bit because Andrew Friedman is himself a historical figure, right? Um, well, I actually had it on. I had it on my schedule to ask about Jeremy, but uh, we uh, were running out of time in our segment, so I couldn't. Yeah, couldn't no, I could. I'll, I'll say it really briefly. I mean, Andrew Friedman Home, the architectural building, was bequeathed by Andrew Friedman, which means that it was one of his will designations, and uh, quite a bit of money um, 
from his personal wealth was allocated towards the construction of Andrew Freeman and the Andrew Freeman home. And the mandate was basically to build this facility because he anticipated the crash for whatever reason to house people who were formerly wealthy but came upon destitute times but could still live with the security and social opulence that they experienced due to their breeding and education. That is what the Andrew Friedman home was originally made for. So he built it knowing that there would be a crash and that there were quite a few, perhaps friends, constituents who would be affected by that crash. Um, but besides his constituents being a part of the Andrew Freeman home culture, uh, he also cultivated an interesting group of formerly aristocratic people who, from around the world, who ended up living in that space for a period of time. And it was began construction in 1922, completed construction in 1928. On the Grand Concourse, it's quite a sight. It goes the length of a whole block. It is, and they don't make it like that anymore, right? It's it's comparable. It's comparable to Grand Central Station. Um, some of it, um, obviously, over the years, it's gone into various states of disrepair, but it is still a very beautiful building. Um, Palazzo structure, I believe, is the Italian structure that it's called that it's based off of, and yes, it is, uh, and it also has a garden that is the size of a city block in front of it when you come to the entrance on the Grand Concourse. So that's what it functioned as for many number of years. And there were social clubs that happened there. And there was a private library that was there as well um, for people in the home to enjoy. And because, it, and it was originally a residential facility. So, but not like we consider it because on the fourth floor, there was a kind of hospital ward that was oh. also there. So it was a little more than just your standard residential facility because people there were able to be treated for their medical conditions as well. Sort of like a modern day uh, uh, adult uh, uh, home that also has uh, enhanced uh, nursing or medical facilities. But uh, I think it goes way beyond a modern day adult home. Just as far as just, I mean, each floor is 22,000 square feet. So just if you ever visit the Andrew Friedman home, 1125 Grand Concourse, and it is across the street from the Bronx Museum. You'll just see from the lobby itself that it is, uh, it's quite opulent and grand. Well, maybe I can coax you to give me a private tour sometime because I did want to yeah. talk about one of the, ask you about one other thing. Um, um, when, well, about several things. Uh, when was an arts organization first established at, at Friedman? So that's a, that's a major jump um, into the present slash future, but, and so the building was purchased in 1988 by Mid Bronx Senior Citizens Council, which is a community development nonprofit organization. Soon after it was purchased, it was landmarked, I think like four years afterwards. And so during that time and Mid Bronx Senior Citizens Council is still the owner, during that time, they had a daycare and still have a daycare, Head Start daycare in the basement area. And then the first floor was mainly opened up for community events, meaning we have a various changing population of different immigrants. And so they would come to the Andrew Friedman home and that would be a place where they could rent and they could 
enjoy their various cultural events, whether it was weddings or something more particular. So that went on for a period of time. And then it wasn't until 2012 um, when it re-debuted as an art center or a cultural art center. It since has evolved beyond that into what it is today, which is an interdisciplinary residency, a workforce development program, as well as an education center for youth and adults. Mm. So basically in 2012, is when that was the changeover. And that is marked by our collaboration with No Longer Empty, another known nonprofit. And the show, the exhibition was a Bronx borough exhibition. So I think we had something like 50 plus artists on two floors. Um, It was greatly attended. And that show was called This Side of Paradise, which you could still find online for anyone who's curious. It's called That Show of Paradise? Nope. This side of paradise. This side of paradise. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. Based off of Fitzgerald's book. Oh, okay. Well, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Walter Perrier. Walter is the founder and director of the Andrew Friedman Home and the Andrew Friedman Home Initiative in Grand, on the Grand Concourse in Concourse in the Bronx. We'll be back in a moment. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern time on talkradio.nyc. Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. back 
and you're back to Rediscovering New York and our program tonight about concourse and hybrids in the Bronx. My guest on the second part of the program is Walter Perrier. Walter is the founder and director of the Andrew Friedman Home and the Andrew Friedman Home Initiative. Walter, what had you come up with the idea to, to create this program at the Andrew Friedman Home? Was it something that um, you thought about for a while or did an opportunity come up at the space and you thought about, about incorporating different elements and different, and different original artists in, in, a, in a program? How did, how did you get started with it? Uh, I think it's kind of an amalgam of my life experience. Um, part of it is, so it is not a spontaneous thing. Part of it was my time in the arts. Part of it was educating and being a teacher for seven years. Um, part of it was being blessed to have a lot of time to travel to a lot of different countries around the world and to see the difference in social systems as well as education systems and then wonder why that's not here in the borough that I love. Um, and so that just turned into a self-examination and of myself and also of the environment, which is that the current Bronx, uh, a lot of people are not going to necessarily have the opportunity to enter academia, right? Because it is a, there's a strong financial deterrent around that, um, as well as how the Bronx has been seen since the 70s. You mentioned the Bronx is burning. Uh, and so that also is a deterrent as far as not only bringing arts to the Bronx, but really deterrent on people's dreams and what they can do. And that kind of became really crystallized when I was working um, in another section of the company. And I work with a lot of construction workers and I had an aha moment because a lot of those carpenters uh, could be art handlers. Uh, so, and the only reason they weren't is because of A, education, and B, the awareness that they could translate their skills to a completely different industry and that could benefit their lives. So all of that kind of came together in a moment. And so the Andrew Freeman Home started in 2012 as an artist studio that in exchange for artists having that studio space, they would then teach the skills that they have from their particular form of art to the surrounding community. So we made classes and workshops around that. A lot of the exhibitions and performances, because we don't just do exhibitions, that's why we're interdisciplinary. And a lot of the performances are very much geared to not only telling a compelling narrative, but telling a narrative in which the people in that neighborhood see themselves in and being able to see that narrative at a professional standard. And they can then see how they can translate their own skills to that, should they choose, to, you know, and, you know, mid Bronx where I work, you know, they always say from the cradle to the grave. And what they mean by that is the ability and the opportunity to transform and educate someone starts at the cradle and ends with the grave, maybe, right? Mm -hmm. So that's pretty much, in a nutshell, the idea of what started the Andrew Freeman Home, because artists are, mm -hmm. besides being visionary, um, they all have their unique and eclectic skills. And a lot of times people go to academia to learn that, but you don't necessarily need to. And in a lot of ways, it's the original form of artist artisan, right, came from that 
apprentice master artist relationship and translating those skills. So I think in a singular sense, we need to get back to that for the Bronx. And I also think that in a broader sense for our, our country. How has the programming of the Andrew Friedman Home evolved and developed since um, you first started nine years ago? Well, I mean, that's a that's a good question. A lot of people don't normally ask. I mean, we basically started as a this artist colony and a kind of barter system, right? Because we asked artists who were participating to teach their skills, um, whether it was youth or whether it was adults. So there was this kind of exchange, but it wasn't a monetary exchange, which is something that I love and continue to love. It's an exchange of knowledge, skills, information, depending on which field you're dealing with, right? And then, so that's how it started. And then it developed because we have a really good workforce program and that is more geared towards the adults. We formalized some of the other programs, our after-school program, our Saturday program. Those became infused with art, right? So it became more art education. And then the type of shows that we did Um, and I say shows loosely because they fall in all the categories of the fields of art, they began to be a little more focused on social issues that we saw occurring, reoccurring, or continuing in the Bronx. For example, one of our most famous uh, permanent exhibitions that we have at the Andrew Friedman Home is called Redesigning the Red Line. And that was also an interesting thing when when the gentleman was speaking, because when you were talking about why do you think the railroads. Why do you think the trains were being built? Um, Part of that is very much because of redlining at that particular time. Um, And it's a great exhibition because it it shows the relationship between property valuation and communities and where people live and, and population density. And most people normally wouldn't think, well, that's very interesting for an art show. But it actually is very interesting for an art show because you can visually show and contextualize Uh, an experience of a group of people that have been living in the Bronx for a long period of time. So that's kind of like what we do. And we've always had that focus, at least since I've been a director. Um, I think one of the other shows that we did was called State Property. And that was about, that was around the idea of complicit consumption versus conscientious consumption. Um, And that was very much about how we as a population just kind of buy and buy and buy. And we're not really thinking about what we're buying or more importantly, where it's coming from. And we called it state property because it focused on products that were specifically made in the incarceration system. Mm. So again, these are, you know, not necessarily curatorial themes that you see the MoMA doing, or at least at that time. Um, And we did collaborate with the MoMA, but uh, we feel, I felt that they're necessary. And when you're talking about community development and people having ownership and feeling ownership in their community, that's a part of it. Understanding the narrative and understanding your place in the narrative and understanding that you can create your own narratives. Mm. When is, when, for how long will the redlining exhibition uh, be up and when can it be seen? When, uh, when will it open? It's always, it's always up. Um, it's a permanent exhibition? It's a permanent exhibition on the second floor. It's very interesting. Um, we will officially open in September again. Um, and when I say open, I mean that very loosely because we are still in COVID. So it is very much about um, small groups um, and making sure that people are vaccinated and safe. 
Um, so we will have a small opening in September. Um, I'd love to uh, cop an invitation. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I would, absolutely. Would, I would love to be there. Well, Walter Preyer, uh, founder and director of the Andrew Friedman Home, thank you so much for being our guest on thank this you. program about, about hydrogen concourse. Well, everyone, we've just finished this week's exploration of neighborhoods that have really evolved and changed. Uh, hydrogen concourse from water to baseball to the Yankees to build up of, uh, of residential development to um, uh, dilapidation back decades ago to rebirth and regeneration. And now with the establishment uh, for nine years now of a really uh, important arts institution that's right on the Grand Concourse and that's the Andrew Friedman Home. Thank you. If you have comments or questions about the show, or if you'd like to get on our mailing list, please email me, jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. You can like us on Facebook and follow me on Instagram and Twitter. My handle's there at jeffgoodmanNYC. Once again, I'd like to thank our sponsors for this program, Chirag Mogadi, Mortgage Strategist at Freedom Mortgage, and Jacqueline Hosford Interior Design. One more thing before we sign off, I'm Jeff Goodman, a real estate agent at Brown Harris Stevens in New York City. And whether you're selling, buying, leasing, or renting, my team and I provide the best service and expertise in your New York City real estate. To help you with your real estate needs, you can reach us at 646-306-4761. Our producer is Ralph Storier. Our engineer this evening returning is the fabulous Emily Schulman. Emily, great to have you back. Our special consultant is David Griffin of Landmark Branding. Stay tuned at 8 p.m. right here on talkradio.nyc for Coffee Talk XL with Kevin Barbaro. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next time. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift educate and power. Did you know that nearly one in five adults in the U.S. battles mental illness? Hi, my name is Albert Dabba. I'm the host of the show Extra Innings. Extra Innings, I discuss the topics of wellness, mental health, and the experience of surviving multiple suicides within my family. Listen live every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern to Extra Innings for discussions with sports figures, artists, mental health professionals, and many others. That's Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? 
Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Have you ever thought of reinventing yourself? Are you looking to create a new life's journey? Hi, I'm Kevin Barbaro, host of Coffee Talk XL every Tuesday night, 5, 8 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live to hear me and my guests from a variety of different backgrounds. As a former college coach and a current full-time actor and owner of multiple companies, my show is as eclectic as my life. That's Coffee Talk XL every Tuesday night, 8 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 